Hello and welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, with where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many lives, ways to live life. <laughs> I believe that there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They, too, have had their own struggles and uncertainties. Yet, somehow, they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really, ask yourself that. Connect with me on my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter and receive this interview as well as other interviews directly in your inbox. Today's guest is Angela Wheeler, and she's the Operations Specialist and Community Manager at Productive Flourishing. She successfully climbed a ladder of academic success, earning a PhD in sociology. And then while working in her academic teaching appointment, Angela realized that was not a good fit for her. She had spent her life doing what she thought she was supposed to do and what others expected her to do, which led her to a near-death experience. Angela's been on quite a journey with her health and recovery. She has been open about her journey on productive flourishing and started a powerful conversation called Extraordinary Women Change the World. Angela's here to talk about how you can understand yourself and your strengths through adversity. Angela, hello and welcome. Hello, Karen, and good morning. Good Thank morning. Thank you for having me. So, so often, people, well, this is what I find in the work that I do. People really want the promised land. And they, you know, it's like they're seeking for happiness. They're seeking for less troubles. And what's so, um, imp- I don't know if it was impressed, but what's so, um, I guess, opened me up to you in your, in your blog was you writing about your journey and going through that adversity and how it brought you closer to yourself. And, and I thought that was so powerful because, you know, as so many people struggle with doing what others expect them to do and doing what they want to do for themselves. And that was something, you know, like when we talked, when I in the intro talked about you getting your PhD and doing sociology, and I'm sure your your professors and you know your mentors were expecting you because they had invested in time and energy in you to take your work into the academic world. World, <laughs> correct me where I'm wrong. No, not at all. <laughs> You're definitely correct there. It's um, you know, it's it really has. It's been an interesting and wonderful and also oftentimes trying journey for me, um, especially over the last couple of years. Um, but there is, there are, there are expectations when people take their time, their energy, 
and they really put that into you and help you to develop in a certain area or a certain field. And so I really do think it, it takes a lot to listen to yourself um, and listen to that that little voice in your head that's sometimes loud um, and sometimes soft um, telling you, is this, you know, is this a good fit? Is this something that makes me whole and makes me happy? And, and that's so hard. And I understand, I resonate um, with your journey because I was in academia. I was a, I taught at a community college. And so, you know, I climbed a very tall ladder very quickly. I was ten, I was tenured at 29. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yes. So I, I climbed in, in, but it wasn't in, there were many components of it that were the right thing, but there were many components that weren't the right thing, you know, and how do you leave something that, um, especially in this world where, you know, the economy is always in the bubble, right? So how do you leave long-term job term, job security to go off and do the things that I do now? You know, or doing, and you know, even my mom was when I was talking to her about it. She goes, "You're leaving your pension, (laughs) right?" (laughs) And it's that. Well, no, just just suck it up and do this job because it's not really all that bad. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, I really, I really resonate with what you were just talking about because it's, it is, it's very difficult. Um, In some senses, our futures, our economic futures are very different than they were for our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of my parents' generation would get into a job or a career, and they would stay with it for 20, 30, 40 years um, and get their retirement and the pension. And for many people, I'm sure that worked wonderfully. Um, but I imagine that there are some that may have been a little bit like yourself um, or myself where... Um, it may not have been as good of a fit for them as it might have been for other people. And so it is, you know, it's really difficult to, um, in some senses, feel like you're walking away from what you've spent your life going Mm -hmm. towards. You know, you go to school um, throughout your life. You go to college at 18 and start grad school when you're 22, 23 years old, and you're there for another five, six, seven years, and so you get to the point where you're 30 years old, and, you know, for some of us, um, we may not have spent as much time in the quote-unquote real world <laughs> outside of school, and um, may not have realized what there, what there was out there for us, or what the possibilities are, and I think that that was, um, for me, one of the most difficult things is it was something that I was definitely proud of, and I was glad I was able to do. And it was, in some senses, very difficult to walk away from because that was my, that's what I saw in my mm-hmm. life. You know, I, I saw myself going through the tenure track and um, getting tenured, being out of university for a long time. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a mind shift. Well, and isn't it interesting, because I know when I was stuck in it for a while, I thought that was the only way. Like, I couldn't see, you know, other possibilities, because that was the system that I knew, and I understood. Mm -hmm. And going out here, it was like, well, that's not possible, because it's outside of that system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, the, 
You know, and there are, you know, I'm just one of those people who found that it wasn't a good fit for me. I think that academia is a wonderful fit for many people, and it, it is. It's just, it's very different because there is, there's a structure that you're used to when you're in that, and going out, especially going into business for yourself, I mean, that's the <laughs> probably <laughs> one of the most different, strange things you can do when you've been in academia your entire life is actually go into business for yourself, and there are a lot of people that, um, that think that, you know, or have thought along the way that Charlie and myself are probably a little bit crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because when you can, there, there is no resting, right? There's no cushy job just to rest. You, you're doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Danielle Laporte last week, and I said to her that entrepreneurship is one of the best personal development experiences around. You know, you really learn about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. It's, um, you know, entrepreneurship is, it's one of those things where I almost think everybody should get a chance to experience that in some way they perform in their lives because it it is, I mean, it's sometimes, you know, it's trial by fire. It's learning so much about yourself and your environment and your you know, your social systems around you, um, what makes you tick, what makes you miserable, um, scraping by month to month, penny pinching and helping and hoping things will grow. It's, um, yeah, you, golly, you, you get really strong and, um, you do learn a lot about yourself. Do you think it makes you, um, helps you be more present? You know, I do. I really do. Um, and thinking about that, I think when, you know, when you're out there as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, the reality um, of it is that you're having to keep yourself employed day to day. And when you're um, you know, on the academic track like you and I were mm-hmm. for so long, you're usually pretty secure once you get to tenure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you don't really wonder about where that paycheck is going to come mm-hmm. from. And so there's a possibility that you might, you know, lapse into maybe not being as cognizant or really thinking through the day-to-day. And how is your life, you know, being fulfilled day-to-day and... When you're when you're out there and you're doing this and you're on that entrepreneurial journey, you're you're constantly having to um, reassess and think about and really be present. You have to be present if you want to try to be successful in this world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, you know, I think um, yeah, because when I once I especially once I had, t- had tenure, you know, I just knew that the job was there. Um, money was not, I always knew how much I would make and I could look at the scale and see where the increases would come. And, and then if we got raises, that would be, you know, something, but I could look at that. I had the next, you know, 30 years of my life mapped out mm. and then I could figure out how much I was going to make in my pension. Right. Yeah. So I always laughed. The person who loves certainty so much left her tenure job. But, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> but I feel like it's like when I get in a car and I'm driving someplace, and I don't even know how I got there. 
right? I'm not really, really present. And then there'll be some telltale signs to help me wake up. Sometimes I'll see that cop car that's there and I'm like, oh, I need to really check into my, you know, speedometer. But, you know, that's how I felt like, not that I wasn't trying to do my best or working really hard or, you know, being of service, not that, that there wasn't that, but there was, it, there was a limited, more limited range, I think, when I was there. And now my range, <laughs> I really feel things, you know, I feel scared. I feel happy. I mean, I definitely feel the, the joyous feelings a lot more. You know, I, as you were talking just now, there's something that kind of, I don't know, kind of dinged for me, and one of the things is, now for me, things are less muted, Uh Um, and so it it definitely seems like it ties in with what you were just talking about, that, you know, the path is kind of laid out there, and you follow the steps, and you, you do, you put in a lot of time and effort, it is it is a lot of work to to really step up the ladder in academia. Um, but it, it is, it's kind of laid out there. And so I found for myself that I, I think that myself, my personality, my emotions were muted. And um, they were, you know, maybe maybe some in some ways less downs um Mm -hmm. but definitely less joy as well and um less really feeling um my environment and my circumstances and what I'm making for myself um and feeling I guess you know kind of alive even though you know as you know that (laughs) that alive can be scary and horrible and terrifying and amazing and beautiful and wonderful um so yeah just for me I I, you know I I feel deeply I think more because I am present well and Brene Brown I learned this from her but she had talked about I think on my show about when we try to you know we try to bury those bad feelings right Mm -hmm. and when you bury them and, and and try to be more muted as you said it diminishes your joyous feelings you can't so you get muted all the way across. You can't just mute the bad feelings. You mute all feelings. Absolutely. Right? And so I think, like, with you and I going and having even these really, you know, being willing to to feel these scary feelings, mm-hmm. it also allows us to feel these great feelings. Tell me where I'm wrong. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And Brene um, is an amazing, very smart woman. Yes. <laughs> so I... I would not disagree with that at all. Not at all. It's, um, you know, you kind of, it, for myself and my own personal journey, I found that I kind of um, lost, I guess, lost the spark, you know, and and it really was just kind of a day-to-day. And, um, you know, there, there were times there I was more happy than there, you know, other times where I was more sad or down, um, yeah, like now it's, you know, the amazing, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, like I, I feel it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when, do you think that doing, living this life that you were supposed to live versus the life that you, you know, really wanted to live, do you think that was a catalyst to your health problems? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I 100% 
um, believe that, um, you know, that the health issues um, for myself and I think for so many women today in this day and age, um, we're not paying attention um, to our bodies and our souls the way that we need to, um, the way that we should, because the best indicator of how you're doing is, is what your body is telling you. Um, and so I, um, not, you know, it's not funny, but Charlie and I jokingly sometimes talk about type A Angela coming back out um, <laughs> and really making sure that um, this type A, um, you know, kind of personality that I had for so long um, where it was just, you know, turned, cranked up, way up all the time, um, wanting to be perfect and realizing that good enough was never good enough for me mm-hmm. and wanting to be the best in my field or in my area. Um, it, you know, your body, your body can't, can't do that. Your mind can't do that um, and really let you live a full life. And so... You know, with a lot of autoimmune diseases, like what I have dealt with, um, it is. Um, it, it comes a lot with the fields that are very stressful or where it's kind of turned on all the time. Yeah. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Angela Wheeler, and she's the Operations Specialist and Community Manager at Productive Flourishing. And she has created a new conversation on that blog called Extraordinary Women Change the World. And so when you went through these health scares, I mean, some of it started when you were still in academia, correct? Mm-hmm. Sure did. It sure did. Actually, um, you know, the thing, I'm, I'm not sure that I brought this up in the empowerment series. I may have. But I was actually diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease when I was still a teenager. Um, and that was um, a really horrible case of endometriosis. Um, and it was, um, you know, something that just, you know, assumed that, you know, some people get this and, you know, the doctors go in and they laser out the cysts and all the things that aren't supposed to be there. Um, and you kind of go on. Um, and that, that at least that's what it looked like for me. And so I really think that my body... Um, was starting to tell me things when I was very young, and I didn't know how to pay attention to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't tuned into that. And so it was, you know, I got through undergraduate pretty well. Um, I was a little more ill through undergraduate than I would have said I was when I was a bit younger. Um, And then going into graduate school, I um, just kind of, went all in. That's kind of what you have to do when you go to graduate school is you go all in. And it was, hmm, I would say about halfway through my program, after I'd finished my master's and I started my PhD, there were musings there in my mind of, is this the right thing to do? You know, is this right? Does this feel right? And I, that voice was there but I didn't really give it a lot of credit. 
it was one of those things where I assumed, you know, everybody has times when they're in graduate school where they think, wow, this is crazy, and I don't want to do this, and what am I doing? And so I just kind of didn't pay attention to it. Um, And so as I got closer towards the end of my Ph.D. program, I really started to feel a little more out of sorts. Um, So definitely some things I think were starting to go on with mental health, um, with (laughs) having a specialization in mental health myself and just not paying (laughs) attention. Um, And, yeah, as I was, you know, finishing up my dissertation for my Ph.D., um, it was just as I was getting out of that um, that I was diagnosed with that second autoimmune disease. It was my first um, my first year, just a couple in a um, couple of months in to my faculty position, where I was diagnosed um, with the ulcerative colitis. So, you know, I I think the signs were there for a very 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 long time. And I just wasn't in touch with myself well enough to really listen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and don't you think, I mean, we're not taught, like, I, we're not taught to go inward. We're taught to, you know, do all this stuff on the outside to be successful, which then will equate to happiness. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and, and when you talk about, well, even though I've been trained in this, I was missing the subtleties. I was thinking the cobbler's children have no shoes. Right, because we're so busy out taking care of everybody else, we forget about how to take care of ourselves. And don't you think that with women that even is more more common? Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, um, you know, I could, I could talk about all my <laughs> sociological research here, and, you know, my specialties were um, family and mental health um, within sociology, and um, I did teach them on gender and women's issues as well. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I could go into the research here, but you don't have to, you know. You just look at the women in your own lives, Um, you know, whether you're you're a man or a woman, looking at the women that are in your life, looking at your own life, and we're socialized to take care of others. Um, That's, you know, been the historical role for women, and I I think that with that historical role and then also the change in society over the last few decades and really the increase in the pace of life and what's expected of women, that, you know, not only do we get the messages that we're still supposed to care for everybody else, but we're also supposed to achieve this you know, ridiculous um, amount of success, all the while taking care of everybody else, mm-hmm. well, you know, um, you're going to suffer, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, when when that happens, your, your body, your mind, your spirit, um, they're going to let you know at some point that it's just not working. Yeah, and the fact that I think we all want it all right now. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of why I started this show, because I figured I was really messing up as a mother, wife, you know, um, in my career. And so I was trying to figure out the answer. And what I've learned is that it's not about having it all at one moment. It's more of a marathon and, or a journey. And there's going to be different times where, you know, like right now with my kids, they're 12 and 10. 
and I've realized that at this time in their life, they still want to be home, and it's really important for me to be home with them, yeah. right? And so, like, a lot of my social life has kind of gone on the back burner because I really want to connect with my kids because I know in a couple of more years, they're going to be much more social, not really want to be around with me. And so I'm going to take advantage. When they were younger, you know, I was the mom that was waiting on the street corner to get picked up to go for mom's night out. <laughs> and, and I was, but I was with my kids and I just wanted to have a meal where I didn't have a kid hanging on me. Yeah. And so in my, in my life has fluctuated like that. And I realized that there's a pattern and there's a, there's, it's not always going to be that way. Right. So, and I, and that has really helped me in my own life of realizing that things come in waves. It's not always going to be constantly like that. And not yeah. to expect that I should have it all together perfectly at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, um, oh, yeah, that, you know, that constant quest for perfection and being the best mother or the best partner or the best, you know, professor in your department that brings in the most grant money. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't all be the best. Um, <laughs> and, uh realizing our own, um, you know, our own wonderful qualities and what we have, um, the, the joy that we can bring to our own lives and the lives of the people around us that we care about. Um, it's not, be- you know, it's not always beautifully unmessy. It's usually beautifully messy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's imperfect. And that's, that's life, you know, that's, and that you know that's been one of the things for myself in my own journey um and i can imagine you know for you as a mom um and a lot of other moms and women out there is becoming comfortable with and really sitting in that you're perfectly imperfect mhm that you still have so much amazing wonderful beautiful inside of you um, and it's not perfect, but it's it's you, and it's what the people who love you and care about you want. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I, in letting go of that idea of perfection, or it has to yeah. all look this way or be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, about the, I mean, now when I look at adversity, you know, I'm in some ways some people want to shoot me because I look at adversity, I'm like, oh, isn't this great? Because I do, <laughs> I do believe that there's going to be an opportunity to learn. You know, now I don't always want to learn. Sometimes I'm like, I've kind of learned enough for today, right? But but Uh I don't, I just don't look at problems as these horrible things or these dead ends. Yeah. You know, because I do, because I do know that when I go through those tough times, it's like Viktor Frankl, right? Man Uh searched for meaning Uh and one of them is going through deep struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, and it's, you know, that's the thing with getting, really getting to know yourself on this, you know, this journey of life that we all have is the struggles, um, the scars, the bumps, the bruises, um, that's where we become unique and we become ourselves. And, you know, that said, you know, I'm still accepting, and I think it'll be a lifelong journey of accepting that, yes, you're having struggles now, and that's, you know, there are things you can do, but it's okay. You are, you know, you are going to get past this, and 
you have resources, you have people to help you. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest, um, six, seven months ago, when I was in the worst of what I was experiencing with the PTSD and the anxiety and the depression, you know, I a lot of people, you, you don't really know exactly how that feels. Um, you can imagine it. Um, but, but living it, the last thing you want to hear at the time, because I had so many people telling me, you're going to get through this and you're going to be stronger. Um, it's like, ugh, <laughs> leave me alone, you know? Like, no, I, and you're just kind of there. You're stuck in that place. Um, but when you, when you get a little more perspective, when your mind get, mind and body gets healthier, you can realize that it is, it's a period of time that you're going through. Um, but it, it'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so for you, right, and much of your journey is up on, the, on your blog, Pro- Productive Flourishing. Mm-hmm. When you were in that dark abyss, could you even see the light? No. Um, to be completely frank and honest, um, and, you know, I've, I've found, I kind of want to preface it by, by saying that I've found that me finally being able to accept and talk about what I've gone through and what I'm still struggling with and going through has been very empowering for me, Mm -hmm. um, because I think that a lot of us, um, we don't talk about those things <laughs> like that. We, we don't talk about PTSD and suicidal thoughts and mm-hmm. depression. And, you know, those, those are topics we steer clear from. But, you know, I've found that it's been part of my healing journey that I am able to talk about this. And I can, I can tell you, um, you know, six, seven months ago, I did not see a way out. Um, I did not see any light. I didn't see any possibility. And, um, what can- and it, it was scary. So without seeing any light, without seeing any possibility, what kept you hanging on? Wow. Mm. You know, that's a, <laughs> that is a really, really good question, Corinne. Um, I don't... I would say that a part of what kept me hanging on um, during the darkest times was the fact that I knew that deep down, (laughs) um, maybe not on the surface all the time because your mind will play some tricks on you, but deep down I had a mom, a dad, a sister, a few close friends, and more than anything, Charlie, that were there. And, I mean, they were there no matter what time of day or night. Um, And even though there were times where I figured, man, these people are going to cut and run. I am crazy. (laughs) I don't know how how they're dealing with this. I I think there was always just that little voice back there that says, you know, you do still have this. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard now when 
I, I know that you, your joy comes from within. It comes from yourself. But I think the thing that, that may sound a little strange to some people right now is that I was so deep in the hole at the time that the only thing that really kept me hanging on honestly wasn't myself at the time. It was the fact that I knew I had at least a few people that that wanted me there and needed me there. Angela, thank you for that. Thank you for that honesty. Yeah. Because I think that there are listeners out there that can resonate with that. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's something that doesn't get talked about. Or what happens is that we may hear about it with, you know, some celebrity. But we, mm-hmm. you know, but then we have these stories of, a, well, you know, of course that could happen to them. But when it happens to, you know, regular people and we go through it and we come out and when we go through it, and I mean, that's why I do this show, right? Um, but to know that, look, I, I have, I have some people and with the, even with the, the concern that, cause I have that concern when, when I've gone through my dark abysses, mm-hmm. if these people really know me, won't they yeah. leave? Right. Won't they leave when they really know me? And that, I think, is so scary. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you're in so much pain, you, you, you just let it all hang, or at least I did. I let it all hang out, and it was really, really interesting to see what occurred and yeah. who was there. Yeah. I, you know, I think some of the hardest, hardest places for me in that journey were... Being in, you know, being in Portland, and we'd only been here a little over a year, so I didn't have the same network mm-hmm. um, of people that I had when I was back in Nebraska or when I was in Arkansas, because I'd been there for, you know, Arkansas 22 years, Nebraska 8 years. Um, and so, you, you know, you really develop a strong network when you're somewhere over time, and, and that kind of takes time. And so... I think not having that, but also having it where there were days where I was quite literally catatonic, um, and I wasn't um, expressing, verbalizing, talking to anybody. And, you know, when you live with somebody for so long, like I have with Charlie, and conversation has always been so easy for us, um, and not having that it's really sad and scary. Mm-hmm. But now can you look back, now that you're out of that dark abyss, or further, you know, further along, right, because I'm not saying you're in the promised land, yeah. but uh, um, can you look back and go, wow, look at how, look at me at my low and look at where I am today and look at the, the growth that I've had. Absolutely. I, I, I am amazed with myself, honestly, and I'm, you know, it's not something I've been able to say at any point in my life up until now, which is just kind of sad, um, but I'm proud of myself, mm-hmm. and um, I just, I see where I was back in September, October, November, you know, just six, seven, eight months ago. And I was 
so low. Um, I didn't know that there would be um, a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if there would be a next week. Um, and to see now that not only am I doing better, I actually think that I am happier than I've ever been at any point in my life. Wow. And to go from your absolute lowest to where you see so much possibility um, and so much joy and wonder in the world and yourself um, in just, you know, six, seven months, it's, um, it's amazing. It is. Well, that, that breed, that's evidence to what Brene was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. When you can let yourself feel and go through those t- tough feelings yeah. and those tough situations, it, can, it doesn't mute everything, right? Mm-hmm. It raises everything up so that you can feel the great feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So going through this and, and being through the dark abyss and then coming out now and see, looking back, and seeing where you were at one point and where you are now, does that give you your sense of strength? It does. Um, absolutely. I think that that's where, that's where a, a good part of the empowerment that I feel now does come from. Um, you know, and I'll share just a little bit more here that I don't know that... Um, I wrote about um, when I started the Women's Empowerment Series. I'm especially proud and blessed and thankful because there is actually a very long history of mental health um, issues and mental illness in both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things that I know it's something I'm going to have to continually, you know, just check in with myself and make sure that I'm doing okay. But there is, um, I feel a lot of strength, a lot of empowerment in realizing that I've been able to overcome such a huge, um, such a huge difficult life event. And then there's also a little part of me that feels my strength from the things I did in the 31 years before that as well that I didn't give myself credit for. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that I, I didn't think were good enough. But when you really look at it, it was pretty darn amazing. <laughs> yeah. So can you give us some examples? Oh, sure. Um, wow. So a few things. Um, you know, I traveled overseas quite a bit when I was in college. And went through all these different countries and languages and cultures I didn't understand and adapted and did pretty well. I took some courses overseas. Um, I did some research um, as just a 21-year-old in Central America. Um, You know, I did. I I finished my master's. I finished my Ph.D. Um, One of the things I'm not sure that I did give myself enough credit for is my master's and Ph.D. research um, was actually based on um, mental health in military families, um, specifically the women and children that stayed behind um, when their spouses or dads were deployed. And the research I did counted. It helped people. Um, It helped us to get another position for a mental health worker. 
um, in Nebraska. And so there were these things where, you know, I I was doing good stuff and I was helping people and I was doing things that were great. But to me, I was so stuck in, but what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't quite enough that I didn't give myself time to enjoy it and be proud of it and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Angela Wheeler, and she is the operations specialist and community manager at Productive Flourishing. And she's also started a conversation about um, extraordinary women who change the world. And so Angela, and she started this conversation with her own journey. Angela, how were you able to be so vulnerable you know, to the whole world. I mean, by posting this stuff on your blog, how were you able to do that? Because that was one of the things that really struck me was the authenticity and vulnerability that both you and Charlie wrote about your journey. Well, um, first of all, thank you. Um, thank you for saying that. It um, it means a lot to me that um, that I'm able to help people. And I think that... You know, there, there are probably two primary reasons why I have been able to really um, be so vulnerable in public about what, what I've been going through. And the first one is that I've found for myself that throughout my life I've kind of squashed my emotions and my feelings and kind of pushed them deep down. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I don't know, I kind of think about it as, like, you know, mashing down on something, and it just keeps getting more and more and more compressed, and, um, I have a very vivid imagination, but, um, and it just kind of gets tucked, and it gets compressed down in there, and if you don't have a place to let that out in a healthy way, then it does lead to very unhealthy behaviors and unhealthy habits. Um, And so one of the ways that I've been able to be so vulnerable and really share this with other people is that I know it's part of my healing. Um, And if I didn't feel like it was part of my healing and my empowerment, there's no way I would do it. Absolutely no way that I would share all of this. But... I know for myself that with squashing things down and ignoring them for so long throughout most of my life, that's how I got to be where I was at, where I was so sick and so sad. Um, and so it's, it's good for me. It, it's what I need to do. And then secondly, you know, with my experience with the military, with Charlie being in the military um, for quite a while and being deployed overseas. Um, I also have, you know, my dad was in the military, my grandfather, um, my brother-in-law still is, so um, quite a few people. Um, And then studying mental health, I understand, and unfortunately I've seen the stigma behind mental health issues, and... I think as a society, we're starting to accept physical 
disabilities and physical illnesses much more now. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, um, a lot of us still don't feel open and free to talk about the mental the mental illnesses, um, the mental unwellness that we might be dealing with. And so I think it's so important that people know that there are others out there that are dealing with this. And even though someone may look like they have it all together, they might not on the inside and that there really are safe, supportive places where you can talk about that and be open. Um, I think I read this on your blog about how one of the people you like is Oprah. Is that correct? And I was thinking about her as I was driving to the station today because here's a woman who, whether you like her or not, is in. I mean, I adore her. People know that I'm. I, I totally adore her. Still have many episodes on my TiVo. But anyways, <laughs> um, th- I what I was thinking about is here's a woman who was starting to have the conversations of being real, right? And she was willing to talk about things like sexual abuse that people weren't willing to talk about. And that opened up a vulnerability. And then I look and I thought about it because, you know, I'm a life coach. And I thought, I wonder if there was no Oprah, if we, I could be a life coach, right? Because, like, she allowed, she really started that conversation on vulnerability, right? And she did that with herself and saying, look, world, this happened to me too. And, and I'm okay because a lot of times, whether it's, you know, sexual molestation or mental illness there, or alcoholism, right? I grew up in an alcoholic home. There's that stigma. Ooh, you're the messed up one. Yeah. We need to stay away from you. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I'm kind of glad you brought that up about Oprah and sharing that. You know, I, um, I may not know as much about her as a lot of other people do, but from what I do know... Um, and what I've read about her and seen is I, I resonate some with her, too, because she grew up um, in the South. Mm-hmm. And um, during a time where things were difficult, um, when you think about gender inequality and racial inequality and socioeconomic inequalities um, in the South, um, especially when she was growing up, but unfortunately, even now to this day, um, what she's been able to accomplish is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, um, obviously I can't put words in Oprah's mouth, but <laughs> I would imagine that she probably um, has been able to be as successful as she is because she was able to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was able to share um, the parts of her that most people aren't able to share. Um And so I really do, um, I admire that, I really do, and I think it's it's bold and it's courageous, and for some people, it can be such a source of healing, Mm -hmm. and it can be so good for other people as well to really be able to hear and see that there there are hard things, um, but there's also a lot of hope. Well, because I think what it does is I think we're fed, this is just my belief, and you can please correct me where I'm wrong because there's Mm -hmm. no research. This is just how I'm seeing the world or what I've read, right? But um, is that we we are so conditioned, whether it's TV, media, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. you know, the stories that we people say or how we compare and despair with our neighbors or our friends, right? We compare Mm -hmm. our insides with their outsides about 
how life is supposed to be. And, and we put up these pictures, or this is what I used to do, you know, especially growing, as a child growing up in an alcoholic home, is mm-hmm. I made it look a certain way mm-hmm. because I was afraid that people wouldn't like me. And I still, you know, as a 39-year-old old woman, soon to be 40, you know, there's... I'm not old. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's still this. I was talking with a friend recently, and I, I have a deep-seated belief that once people know me, they're not going to really like me, you know? And what she told me, she goes, the more I really know you, the more I love you, you know? And, and that was just meant so much to me because I get so afraid that yeah. when people, you know, it's like, no, let me, it's, it goes back to what you said, we talked about earlier of, of doing what other people expect you to do mm-hmm. instead of doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Or instead of being who you really are. Yeah. And I think that when we, what I've experienced in my life is that when I show up and, and I am just who I am, I'm not perfect. I'm a flawed being that also helps other people because they go, oh, she's a flawed being, but she can be successful in these areas. And still be, and be a flawed being. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, it's, um, the quest for perfection leaves out the humanity in all of us, I think. Um, And so, that's true. I mean, the closest relationships I have with people, not surprisingly, are the ones where I am able to fully be me the beautiful parts of me, the ugly parts of me, mm-hmm. um, the scared, vulnerable parts, and the joyous parts, um, you know, and each and every one of us needs to have at least a couple of people in our lives where we can be fully 100% ourselves anytime. And, and so with your relationship with Charlie, mm-hmm. right, I mean, he's seen the dark, he's gone through that dark abyss with you. Did, how did that affect your marriage? Oh, that's a that's a really great question. Um, you know, it's um, it's stronger now. Mm-hmm. It's better, and I didn't know <laughs> we're you know we're that unique um, unique couple that's actually been together since we were pretty much kids. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We met in high school. Um, we started dating at the end of high school, and we've been together since. And so, um, you know, one of the things for us is we've been on this journey together. Um, we both came from the same town, so we overcame a lot of um, similar issues and circumstances um, and really worked um, to, to get to where we were and where we are. And through all of that, um, I think it's where Charlie and I were just talking yesterday. We've been together about 15 years now, I think. Um, And through all of that, we've grown together, um, but we've also grown individually in such amazing ways. Um, And if you would have, you know, told me a year ago that in a year you're going to be even closer and have an even stronger relationship with Charlie, I would have been like, well, we already do. What do you, I mean, like, it, it's already really good. Um, and so there were, there were times where scared and sick and insecure Angela, um, which I still experience at times, um, when I was in my darkest where... You know, Charlie was always saying, I'm here, 
I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. But I just, I had this, there's no way he can stick around through this. I know we've been together for 15 years, and I know we've been through so many ups and downs. Um, but there's no way that somebody would stick around through this. And, of course, he did. Um, he's amazing. Um, and I'm absolutely amazed that as close as we were and as wonderful as our relationship has been, it's it's even stronger and it's better and it's more full and complete and... Yeah, yeah, it's and, good. And see, that goes with like, that gives me evidence against that limiting belief that I have, right? Of when people know us, they'll yeah. they'll they'll not love us as much. And I've had that same experience with my husband. And as I've gone through dark times, is that when I've been more vulnerable and open, and people really see the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and not everybody, because there are those that do leave, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, Angela. This has just been a great conversation so I thank you so much for coming and showing up and opening up to my listeners um, before we go I, a couple of takeaways for the listeners uh-huh. on how they can practice empowerment in their own lives absolutely Corinne I'd be happy to I think that the first thing that I would offer from my own experiences is listening to that voice that is inside yourself. Um, it's a it's a part of you, and it's a really important part of you. Um, sometimes the voice is really loud, um, and you can't help but hear it, and sometimes it's quiet and it's soft, and you really have to pay attention to yourself, um, realizing that you know yourself more than anyone else can. And so really um, taking that power that you have inside yourself and recognizing that what you're hearing inside those stirrings are you, and they're important, and you should honor them. And then secondly, um, again, from my own experiences, is another listening. And it's listening not just to that voice inside you, but to your body overall. And that was one of the things that I really struggled with was paying attention to the signals from my body, um, both mentally, physically, um, emotionally, spiritually, all of those parts. And your body will let you know um, when things are good, when they're right, and also when things are off balance. And so really just paying attention to yourself and understanding that you're your own best compass um, for what what will be empowering for you um, and really help you to um, kind of an army motto, but be all you can be. (laughs) So, yeah, just pay attention to that voice inside yourself and um, really pay attention to your body. Angela, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Corinne. It was wonderful. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. And Angela Wheeler, who's the operations specialist and community manager at Productive Flourishing, and she has a new empowerment series on that blog. You can sign up for my newsletter at www.howshereallydoesit.com and have each interview delivered directly into your inbox.
Saves her mind.